Hello, everyone. My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Thursday. Hopefully, you guys are getting ready for your weekend, spending time with your family and friends, watching the end of the Belgrade Open as well as the Barcelona Open as well. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today. In terms of news, Within or outside of the tennis world, we can get into Kid Cudi stating that he's no longer going to perform or do any songs or write any songs or perform any songs with Kanye West, and he sent a tweet about it. We can also discuss Taylor Lorenz going up to the libs of TikTok. If you guys don't know Taylor Lorenz, she's like this journalist for the Washington Post and how she doxed a person behind the libs of TikTok. And I'll just give my overall thoughts and opinions on that. We can also discuss... Twitter going after J.D. Vans for a message that he sent. And they were just targeting targeting him for what he said about Trump, what he said about the Republican Party, and more so about the voters that vote for the Republican Party. But where we'll start off for today will be news within the tennis world. If you guys haven't checked it out, Dominic Team has returned to tennis. And he played against John Millman yesterday on Tuesday. And he lost in three sets. Uh, he lost 6-3, 3-6, 6-4. He did great in the second set. Um, and there was a montage of the backhands that he was able to sort of produce and put out there uh, on the courts against John Millman. But it wasn't enough. And John Millman got the better of him, took it uh, two out of three sets, and has progressed to the next round of the Belgrade Open. And overall, I thought this match for Dominic Team was quite interesting, quite impressive for him. Obviously, when you think about Dominic Team, this was the first match, ATP Tour match, that he's had since a few years now, like a year or so. And part of it's because of his wrist injury, you know, his right finger injury, and many other recovery reasons for that as well. So again, this was his first ATP Tour match. Obviously, he played a match last month, but it wasn't ATP sanctioned. It was like a friendly, I would say. So this was his first ever ATP Tour match. And honestly, like obviously people are kind of crestfallen and sad that he didn't progress in the next round. But overall, I thought this was a pretty impressive match for Dominic Team. And the reason I say that is because of the fact that he's still able to compete. You know, obviously like a lot of people were sort of casting their doubts with Dominic Team, But the fact that he's able to take it a set, and more importantly, he's still able to reconnect with his backhands and get winners, clean winners off of his backhands, I think that shows you that not only is he composed, but he's back to what we expect him to be. And obviously, you can't really put that much stock in these tournaments. You know, I feel like if you do that, uh, it's not you're not setting yourself up for a better or a better or favorable outcome for these bigger tournaments. But I do think that you know this was his first ever tournament. You know, after a long time, he played to the best of his ability, and more importantly, he was able to get a set out of it. And I think that in and of itself shows you that he's willing to commit himself back to the grind, back to the schedule, and more importantly, and most importantly, win as well. So I think that's very, very good news for Dominic Team. And again, you know, when you think of Dominic Team, you know, you think of that 2020 U.S. Open champion, you think of that guy that, you know, took Zverev to the mat and really played the best tennis that he possibly could, even though there are times where Zverev didn't really play as well as he should have. It was still an interesting match uh, regardless, and it really gave some good, good back and forth and conversations regarding that match. Uh, but overall, I think Dominic Team is really 
getting back to his groove. And I think the amount of people that are sad that he didn't win against John Millman understand that this is his first match after a while. And I think to expect flawlessness right out of the gate, to expect Rome to be built in one day, I think that's kind of wishful thinking. And again, you know, when you think of Dominic Team, you think of a man that is able to compose himself, you know, able to do well at the baseline, you know, do well when it comes to managing his unforced errors, making sure that his opponent makes mistakes. And I think we'll see see that in the next few matches to come, in the next few tournaments to come, leading up to that French Open. But overall, I thought this was a good match. And hopefully we're able to see more of this in the next few matches to come because this man is is great, you know, for tennis, for the sport, and more importantly, for for people just to engage and enjoy and watch it. You know, he's one of the few individuals within the next gen where people can actually watch and not feel any guilt. You know, when you watch Zverev, you're like, oh, this man was accused of some pretty bad things. You know, when you think of, I mean, to a lesser extent, Sitsipas, you know, people don't you know. There's some people that are on the fence about Sitsipas. You know, I mean, he tweets out some cryptic things. You know, he may tweet tweet out some cringeworthy things. He may take excessive bathroom breaks. He may get coaching from his dad. But when you think of Dominic Team, you think of a man that can really just be viewed as a player that people can root for. And, you know, I'm not, obviously, there's a difference between what Zverev is doing versus that of Sitsipas. You know, I think that's, it's, it's important to sort of differentiate, differentiate between the two. But overall, I thought this was a, this was a pretty good match. Uh, for Dominic Team, and even though he didn't win, even though the result wasn't in his favor, uh, it was still a highly engaging match to watch as a result of it. And hopefully we're able to see more of this in the future, but more importantly, hopefully we're able to just enjoy uh, the time we have with Dominic Team. You know, who knows? You know, there could be one injury that could derail him for his career. You know, knock on wood, hopefully that doesn't happen, but again, you know, understand that you know, certain tennis players are built different, and you know, if it may it may not go his way. You know, again, it's different. You know, each and every tennis player has a different story, has different vices, have different weaknesses, have different you know staminas, and and obviously that's that's important to at least discuss. And more importantly, uh, hopefully, Dominic Team can really bring it to the Madrid Open or to the Italian Open or whenever he's scheduled next to play tennis. Uh, hopefully we can expect that as well. Again, this is like an ATP 250 tournament. So obviously people are like, oh, we should expect him to win. And, and don't get me wrong, I get that feeling. I get that understanding. I, I understand where your thought process is coming from. But overall, understand that this is its first match after a while. So you, again, you can't expect perfection. You know, you can't expect uh, a, a win right off the bat. Again, Novak Djokovic didn't win against uh, Davidovich Fokina back in the... Uh, Monte Carlo Masters, that just happened. So again, you can't expect, you know, top-tier tennis players to win right after a few months of sideline, after being sidelined. I think that's quite illogical to think so. So again, uh, this is this is interesting, man. This is really interesting. Uh, hopefully, we're just able to see better tennis from every tennis player because, uh, you know, Belgrade is a good tournament, a uh, solid tournament, tournament. Uh, the Barcelona Open is also a solid tournament. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens and how it plays out on Sunday. You know, I mean, Sitsipas is still in it. Djokovic is still in it. I think right now they're the clear-cut favorites to reach the final of their respective tournaments. So we'll see what happens. You know, I'm I'm bracing myself. I really am. 
uh, hopefully we're able to um, sort of enjoy and watch and, and really take into account that, you know, these tennis players have really done a lot in a short amount of time to do well on clay. You know, the clay season is very short, but it's such a different playing surface. You know, it's only two months out of the 11-month calendar year, and it my God, does it feel like it because it goes like this. So hopefully those that do well in clay are able to do well in clay. Uh, I'm interested to see, I know this is a little bit outside of what I'm discussing about, but I'm interested to see how Carlos Alcaraz does on clay. All right, he does well in hard court. You know, he reached the final of the Miami Miami Open. Uh, he won it as well. Um, he reached the semifinal of the BNP Paribas Open. So it's going to be very interesting to see how he does on clay. Will he do better? Will he do worse? Uh, overall, we haven't really seen a lot of him. So uh, I want to hear your thoughts on that matter. Uh, do you think Carlos Alcaraz can do well in clay? Uh, leave a comment down below. I'll do my best to respond to each and every one of them. I've seen some comments on the audio versions as well, and in terms of like tweets and DMs and whatnot, private messages. I've had a lot of you know responses from that. So if you can just make it public, uh, that's fine as well. Uh, that's completely fine. Obviously, you don't have to make it public if you don't want to make it public, but I feel like it just adds to the discourse that we can both have. So overall, do I think Carlos Alcaraz can reach or do well on clay? Uh, it remains to be seen, but. I wouldn't be shocked. Again, I think you're talking about a future great. Uh, I mean, the man, the first, the the fact that he's able to win an ATP 1000 Master at the age of 19 is crazy to think so. I mean, Sitsipas did not win at that age. You know, Zverev did not win at that age. You know, many tennis players did not win at that age. So, the fact that he's finding that much success at that young of an age, it shows you that he can do well. And more importantly, that he's here for for good, you know? I mean, it really shows you that. All right, I, I think um, talking, more about all, uh, to, talking more about team for just a second. Uh, again, you know, do, watching Dominic team play is a sight to see. It really is because his, his style of tennis is so different from many other players. Even though it is kind of reminiscent of, you know, some of Andre Rublev's game, and I would even say that a sits positive game, the fact that he's able to sort of maneuver on court in ways that they aren't able to do, and more importantly, keep his errors in, in check and line, I, I think that really shows you just how unique his play is. You know, and, and more importantly, I, I think, you know, when you see him lose, it's important to realize that these tennis players, you know, they're they're... They're human like all of us, you know, they're they're going to lose, you know, in a blue moon or, you know, maybe in a red moon, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the bad jokes, for the tongue in cheek jokes. I'm very, very sorry for the dad jokes. But yes, overall, it shows you that, you know, you have to appreciate, you know, these tennis players, man, they, they really do. You know, when you when I watched Dominic team, I wasn't mad that it went three sets. You know, I wasn't mad that it took longer than I expected it to take. Uh, I was kind of happy that I was able to see Dominic Team win. You know, I mean, because it was his first match after a while. You know, after you know, a f uh, after a few months of setbacks and injuries. You know, when I watched the match, I was just in awe of seeing, man, this person has so much resilience. This person is able to really commit to himself and do well and and make it competitive. And I think when I wa when I when I particularly watched that match, I was like, man, this person. 
I mean, he's doing it. He's he's trying to make it. He's trying to make a comeback. You know, I saw a, a lot of similarities between team and that of Andy Murray. Uh, I know I had to relate everything back to Andy Murray, but still, I saw a lot of of the same sort of patterns between those two two between those two players. And overall, I, I thought it was just a very interesting thing to see. You know, so overall, that was the match. He lost six three, or he lost three six, six three four six, and three sets. Obviously, it's the best set of three when you discuss ATP one thousand tournaments and less than that, the ATP five hundred and ATP two fifty. So obviously, it's the best out of three for those matches. But overall, I really enjoyed the match, and I thought that Dominic team really put it put in his all, and uh, it was really good to see. It really it was really good thing. To, it was a really good thing to see. All right, let's get into our next bit of discussion here, shall we? Okay, uh, so Twitter is going after JD Vance. This happened on like Monday afternoon. Uh, they were going after him because. He had apparently, like, J.D. Vance in a big sort of exchange with somebody, I think, on Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp. One of the meta applications uh, stated that um, Trump is like America's Hitler or something. And they sort of took it out of context. So I'll just see. I'll just give you the uh, in-context uh, message that he sent. Uh, and this is his words. But I'm not surprised by Trump's rise. And I think the entire party has only itself to blame. We are, whether we like it or not, the party of lower income, income, uh, lower income, lower education, white people. And I've been saying for a long time that we need to offer those people something and hell, maybe even expand our appeal to working class black people in the process or a demagogue would. We are now at the point at that point. Trump is the fruit of the party's collective neglect. Uh, three, I don't know why I said three. Uh, I go back and forth between thinking Trump is a cynical asshole like Nixon, who wouldn't even be that bad. And it might even pr- prove useful, or that he's America's Hitler. How's that for discouraging? All right, now in the context of it, it's like the end of it. I don't know. I mean, the fact that he called him America's Hitler, uh, I don't know. Um, but yes, overall, when I lost, when I, when I saw the entire text chain and when I saw the message, I got it. I understood what he was saying because, again, the Democratic Party has switched from the party of, you know, trying to appeal, uh, repeal NAFTA and give people universal health care to now being the party of the elite, the coastal elite, you know, the elite that live in or that summer in Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard and the Hamptons while, you know, finding ways to not pay their fair share of taxes, you know. And, and again, I now like that I'm getting older, like, I'm having a difference in opinion on taxes now. Like, again, like, I feel like this tax season really changed my mind on, like, cat taxes. But overall, the fact that we're not able, we're not able to see people pay their fair share and, more importantly, hide in tax havens, I think I feel like that's the more sort of egregious part. You know, that the, the fact that people are hiding their money in tax havens and, and putting their money in, like, Panama and, and, you know, you get the Panama Papers as a result of it and the Paradise Papers as a result of it. Now, the fact that people are doing that, it really shows you the ongoing resentment that working class people have with the Democratic Party. And I feel like J.D. Vance really struck a chord with that. You know, I, I think what he said wasn't that bad. And I feel like the fact that Twitter is going after him, it really shows you that Twitter in and of itself is ha- is doing a horrible job engaging what average working class people like. Right, like if you go on Twitter right now, the 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 thing that's trending right now is like Ezra Miller, you know, for like 
doing like disorderly conduct in Hawaii, right? Apparently, Ezra, Ezra Miller, they, uh, that's how he goes by they, them. They got in trouble at Hawaii for disorderly conduct. And as a result of it, you know, they're, they, them is, they is in jail for like the second time in like two months or so. And second time in the, in the same month. So now it's going to be interesting to see what happens to them. Uh, but that's what people are discussing on Twitter, right? The average person is not talking about Ezra Miller. Like in, in middle America, the average person, if I had to guess, and I'm probably on the money with this, the average person in America just wants to crack a beer, you know, crack a cold one, play some Call of Duty, go to Walmart, you know, watch the Packers, you know, eat some DiGiorno pizza, and they don't really care about what's happening on Twitter. You know, Twitter is not a real place. So when I see people getting mad at JD Vance for what he's saying on Twitter, it's like, understand that you're feeding into it. You're feeding into what everybody does not like about Twitter. And how can you blame them? You know, when you see the average person going to Walmart, you know, buying a gun, you know, shooting, shooting with that gun, you know, in a gun range or you know, just shooting in general, you know, doesn't have to be a gun range. It could be uh, something that's that's bigger than a gun range, a school. Kidding. I'm kidding. Only jokes. I'm only joking. Uh, but yes, when you see, you know, the average person in middle America, they're not on Twitter. You know, they're spending their time more resourcefully. You know, they're spending their time in a more fun way. You know, they're spending their time, you know, watching the Packers or watching the Cubs or watching the Cardinals. You know, that's how they're spending their time, you know, eating the best pizza they can possibly find. You know, that's what they can possibly do. You know, that's what they're trying to enjoy. You know, spending time, you know, listening to Nickelback or Chevelle. You know, we all listen to I listen to Chevelle. I love Chevelle. You know, Chevelle's The Red is a great song. Uh, But yes. Overall, I felt like this was going a little too out of it. Uh, the thing that I kind of disagree with J.D. Vance is here is that, uh, or I mean, I think when he said America's Hitler, he kind of meant it in a bad way. Like he said Nixon or America's Hitler. So I feel like he kind of confided or kind of confessed that he, this could go wrong. So the fact that Twitter's like, oh, he's calling him America's Hitler. No, J.D. Vance is saying that like he, this could go wrong. And, and like understand that. Like that's what he's trying to say. Now, I, I wonder how he's going to go for the Ohio Senate, uh, because I feel like he's going in this like right-wing populist direction, but he worked for private equity. He's a graduate of Yale University, so I don't know how he's going to connect with working-class voters. I don't know that. Uh, I always feel like right-wing populism is kind of a lie. I'm not going to lie. Like I do think that right-wing populism, in my opinion, is, is a bunch of smoke and mirrors for just popular conservatism like i want to see right-wing populists do well but i feel like for a lot of them they're just larp and they're just playing this facade as somebody who's outside of, of the bubble but is still within the establishment circles you know that's just my overall opinions on the right-wing populist agenda you know when i think of trump you know trump really acted like he was the savior for the working class that was going to bring jobs back home that he was going to give them health care but overall he basically was a puppet for Saudi Arabia and for Israel. That's who he was. You know, he was a guy that basically led people into thinking that he was their savior, so much so that they stormed the capital for him. And at that moment, 
as soon as they did, Trump just said, hey, you know what? I don't align with these people. I'm sorry for what's happening. And he like bailed on them quickly. So again, for me, when I see right-wing populism, it's hard for me to really get it. You know, it's hard for me to really understand it. And part of it's because of the fact that I just see right through it. And I don't know if J.D. Vance is going to be the outlier to that. You know, I don't know. But it wouldn't be it wouldn't shock me if he wasn't. You know, if he it was if he was just the same guy that just went to the same bougie events as everybody else and tries to act like he's different. You know, left wing populist or the left and the right have a lot of similarities. And I feel like the things that I criticize the right for, the left is just as complicit in doing as well. You know, when I think of AOC, I mean AOC went to the Met Gala wearing a thousand dollar dress and, and wore saying tax the rich on the dress not only was the dress horrible but it kind of ruined the idea of what she was trying to represent you know when i think of her you know crying about the iron dome in israel but writing yes on it and voting yes on that legislation you know it shows you the facade of aoc you know when you think of elon omar you know when you think of her like quote tweeting somebody on a plane on easter sunday you know singing christian songs you know, getting mad at that. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's obviously dumb. And obviously, if you're on the plane, you know, it would make sense why you'll be mad at somebody singing Easter songs. But understand that there are far more important things that people are going through than some dude on a plane singing Easter songs, Christian Easter songs. I don't know. Uh, I don't know why I put that in the same discussion. But still, it's it still backs up my point, you know, that at the end of the day, there are far more important things to worry about than than what's currently happening, you know, than than these dumb culture war aesthetics and these dumb culture war issues. So overall, with the JD Vancing, uh, I I understand uh, where he's coming from, and I feel like Twitter was just doing everything in 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 their power to just go after them. Uh, that's that's his pronouns, they them. That's JD Vance's pronouns, they them. Uh, going after them, and honestly, like it's important to at least call an album. More importantly, just not even like focus on it like at the end of the day it's just twitter you know twitter will find its next vampire twitter's like a vampire you know they need blood you know they'll eat out somebody one day and then they'll never eat eat them out again you know for lack of a better term for lack of a better description you know twitter's like a vampire you know not like you know team edward or team jacob but like an ugly amp vampire that's what twitter is They'll just eat out one thing and then go to the next because they they're never satisfied, right? Twitter, the Twitter mob, the cancel culture mob is never satisfied. They need their next target. They need their next victim. Uh, JD Vance was that on Monday. Uh, today, maybe a comedian. Who knows? You know, I mean, who knows? That's that's Twitter in a nutshell. They are vampires. They they are soul sucking vampires that will eat the living flesh out of anybody and then move on to their next target without any care in the world. You know, today, uh, Monday was J.D. Vance. Tuesday, it was um, Taylor Lorenz, but for good reason. Uh, I, I feel like the Taylor Lorenz thing, I, I kind of understood where the re- resentment was coming from. Uh, so let's get into that discussion here, shall we? With the Taylor Lorenz thing and what's happening with her. So if you guys didn't see on Tuesday, yesterday, Taylor Lorenz got in trouble on Twitter for doxing the Twitter account Libs of TikTok. And if you guys don't know Libs of TikTok, it's basically this Twitter account that 
shows the mental illness of the liberals that are on TikTok, just like going after people for, you know, their beliefs on gender, on race, you know, saying that there are like thousands of genders and whatnot, like everything that Ben Shapiro like clowns on in his like debates with, you know, dumb college students. That's basically TikTok, the liberal, the libs of TikTok, but times 10. It is, it is crazy to see the mental illness that some of these liberals on TikTok are, are, are on. And the fact that this Twitter account sort of like talks about it, but sort of puts it on, honestly, it gives them more promotion. But it also sort of highlights the mental illness that they have as well. Uh, so Taylor Lorenz, I'm just getting this from Zero Hedge. A uh, good website, trustworthy website. Uh, the Washington Post tech reporter Taylor Lorenz has come under fire for doxing the person behind the libs of TikTok, a Twitter account dedicated to a- amplifying unhinged TikTok rants by Democrats and other leftists, including shocking clips of public school teachers who harbor extreme views. The crux of Lorenz's hit piece is that the libs of TikTok spreads anti-LGBTQ plus sentiment and should be outed and shamed for acting as a wire service for the broader right-wing media system, ecosystem, right-wing media ecosystem, and affecting teachers' ability to feel safe in their classrooms. So this is very interesting. Uh, Obviously, some backstory, uh, Taylor Ren, she's this Washington Post tech reporter, reporter in quotes. Uh, But yes, she's, she's a tech reporter for the Jeff Bezos newspaper, And I saw her, like, there were, like, a few videos that Glenn Greenwald and a few other people put out there. Uh, Glenn Greenwald, great person. Go check out his work. Uh, He writes for his own sort of uh, substack, so go check him out. Highly suggest you do. He tweeted out this video of her, like, crying on on MSNBC for being doxxed. Said a few weeks ago, like, a few, like, two weeks ago, saying that doxing is never okay in any situation. And overall, sorry for that noise, my bad, but overall, she's a very, very calculative individual. And, and you know, obviously the lives of TikTok is a sort of like a satirical piece, you know, so the fact that she went after lives at TikTok, it shows you that journalism is dead, right? Journalism back in the day was going after the government, you know, exposing the government, uh, exposing the corruption in government. You know, when you think of the person that, you know, leaked the Panama Papers, like that dude's dead. You know, when you think of Michael Douglas, I think that's his name, Michael Douglas, uh, the guy that went after Obama for spying and whatnot, that person's dead. You know, I mean, you know, Edward Snowden is captive in Russia. You know, he's a he's he's in Russia for asylum. He can't go back to America. You know, journalism is dead. And when you see Taylor Lorenz, getting all hot and bothered about libs of TikTok. It shows you that at the end of the day, all these journalists on Twitter, they're nothing. You know, they are they are not worth anything. <laughs> they're not worth your time, their your money, your energy, uh, any of that. Because with a few with a few exceptions, you know, obviously there are a few journalists on you know Twitter that do their work and whatnot. Uh, I mean Glenn Greenwald, Matt Taibbi, uh, breaking points, you know, the crystal ball, Sagar and Jetty uh, show they do their good work, but most more often than not, you know, journalists do not do the the work that they should be doing. You know, like at all. And this goes to show you that at the end of the day, Taylor Lorenz is a non sequitur. She is a persona non grata in the journalism space. 
A true journalist will not be going after, you know, parody Twitter accounts. You know, I mean, a true journalist would actually spark, you know, parody Twitter accounts to go that much further. I mean, when you think of the libs of TikTok, I mean, that, that, the people that are featured on that, I, I question their moral sanity. I really do. And I watch it cringing the entire time. I don't really like cringe comedy that like that, you know, but when I see lips TikTok, it's like, no, this is actually kind of interesting. You know, this is kind of enjoyable. Um, obviously, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, the lips of TikTok because uh, I don't know if you guys follow Sean McCarthy on Twitter. Great follow, by the way. I, I highly suggest you follow Sean McCarthy. Sean McCarthy and Jinx. Uh, Jinx is a great great editor on twitter he like talks about like these conspiracy theories and makes videos about like conspiracy theories but it does so in a way that's very engaging very fun he like talk about like he'll have videos about like justin trudeau being you know fidel castro's son and like put like pop smoke the a song by pop smoke with it just like dumb stuff like that he'll do and it's just so funny and hilarious but more importantly uh very educational as well you know, I mean, there was like this video, I think it was like one of his more popular videos of the CIA forming and America's involvement in foreign countries. Very, very inter interesting stuff. Go follow Jinx, Crack Connoisseur on Twitter, and also uh, Sean McCarthy, at not Sean, at not Sean McCarthy on Twitter. Uh, great follows. Uh, Sean McCarthy was actually uh, banned from Twitter, so I had to make a new Twitter account. He was going hard in the paint uh, against conspiracies but he tweeted out this about the lives of tiktok uh, i think when you post as a full-time job with no identifiable source of income and your lawyer who registered your trademark is clearly a cia spook that does raise some worthwhile questions about your identity and whether your work is part of a domestic style campaign which is a very interesting point that he puts out and that sort of i don't know if the lives of tiktok twitter is a uh is a cia psyop operation i mean i wouldn't be so shocked by it it wouldn't be the first time that the cia actively made accounts to harm and sort of damage the credibility or idea of one political ideology but i don't know i, I feel like the libs of tiktok for me like i just view it as fun you know fun you know just i mean obviously there are times where it lives at tiktok does go a little too too much i'm not gonna lie uh but i feel like more often than not, they're just trying to go for funny, you know. And I'll I'll always defend funny. Like I'm a comedian, I will always defend funny, even if it goes against my views and political viewpoints and political ideas. I don't really have that many political ideas uh, at all. I, I my biggest political idea is anti-war. If you can call that a political idea, I just call that being a good person. But overall, like the lives of TikTok, they're just trying to go for funny, and at the end of the day, that's what matters, you know, that's what really matters, and you shouldn't really think too much of it, you know, it's like that movie, for, it's like that Tenet movie, it's that line from Tenet, you know, like, in the beginning of it, you know, when John David Washington's, like, shooting at the gun range, he, the chick is like, try not to think too much of it, that's what I think, you know, with this, with this uh, news story, you know, try not to think too much of it, uh, but yes, go follow Sean McCarthy, and go follow uh jinx crack connoisseur they are very very good follows on twitter probably the only people on twitter that i really th like care about going on their pages and exploring um i'm i'm big into the conspiracy world um uh, you know 
big into it. Uh, there are some conspiracies that we all know that are true, you know, like Fidel Castro being Justin Trudeau's father. That's definitely a big conspiracy that I'm into. I, I'm, I dig deep into that. Um, yes. All right. Um, also, there was this other tweet by uh, the Taylor Run situation. I don't know if it's important or not. No, it's not. Not important. Um, <laughs> that's not regarding that. But uh, overall, uh, the Taylor Run situation, if I'm Taylor Lorenz, I'm just getting a detox from Twitter. Like, if I'm Taylor Lorenz, I'm just going to focus on writing my articles, you know, getting my easy paycheck from Jeff Bezos and and not even go on Twitter at, at anymore. Or go on Twitter, but just once a day and tweet out things that are relevant to your career or just tweet out links to the Washington Post article that you wrote that nobody else will will read. Like, I have zero respect for journalists at this moment in time. I really do. Like, doxing comedy Twitter accounts, like, that's where we are, where we're at. We went from Woodward and Bernstein to this. I mean, that's what we went to. What, I mean, oh, my God. I mean, how sad is that? Oh, my God. I mean, think about it. Like, I mean, all these journalists, like, they all graduated from elite private schools. You know, they went to, you know... Syracuse and Northwestern. I don't know if Syracuse is an elite private school, but bear with me here. I mean, they all went to elite private schools. They all went to boring schools. They picked an easy job because they knew that they could get a lot of money or pay an adequate amount of, of wages writing the dumbest articles and, and for getting, you know, the art, the websites to, you know, sort of, you know, fund or and i mean sort of do their market research to make titles that get the best click rate for their ad revenue it's just such a dumb environment such a dumb profession like the idea of journalism in the 21st century is one of the dumbest things you can ever do and i say that that as a comedian slash podcaster i have more respect for comedians and podcasters than that a journalist i really do because journalists more often than not are some of the most salacious individuals that are just trying to ruin a person's life. I mean, when you think of Rogan with CNN, I mean, every person at CNN that pushed for Rogan to be canceled, I view them less than comedians. I really do. And for the reason that they they went after Rogan, I feel like that's in and of itself very calculated and really shows you the political agenda and prerogative that they have. So when you see Jack Dorsey going after CNN, like he did on Tuesday, yesterday, how can you blame him? You know, when you think of Elon Musk going after, you know, journalists, obviously it's punching down, but my God, sometimes punching down is funny. I mean, let's be honest here. Uh, punching down is very funny. Whenever somebody says don't punch down, they're not funny. Punching down is hilarious. You know, it is one of the most hilarious things you can do. Making fun of people that are less than you. Oh my God. It's needed. It's worthwhile. It is something that should be explored and should be encouraged. So yeah, I mean, overall, I'm happy. I'm really happy. Uh, so Taylor Lorenz, Lorenz, I can't say her name. Taylor Lorenz. Hopefully, you can you know push this away. You know, focus on your work. We really want to hear your work. You know, you, you do great stuff at Washington Post. You know, you really do. Uh, everything you do is like up on par with that of say. Glenn Greenwald, you know, and that of, of investig- investigative journalist, um, you know, it's up there with, 
you know, journalists going to Iraq and, and Afghanistan un uncovering American war crimes. It's up there with that. You know, it's up there with journalists going to Vietnam and, and talking about Agent Orange and the genocide that we've been doing or that we did do in the 60s and 70s in Vietnam. You know, it's up there with that, Taylor Lorenz. You're doing very, very important work as a journalist. So keep it up. We really need, I really appreciate it. Uh, because I read and, and watch all of your articles, you know, in all your interviews. That's what I care about. Um, kidding. Uh, kidding. <laughs> As if I needed to explain that, I'm kidding. But yes, overall, you know, Taylor Lorenz, very, very uh, interesting person, you know, because uh, overall, uh, does she even matter? Uh, probably not. Not going to lie. Not, not going to lie. Probably not. Uh, all right, let's get into our next bit of discussion here, shall we? In regards to Kid Cudi uh, not being... I, I'll end this on a positive note, shall we? Uh, positive note. So Kid Cudi is no longer part of the Kanye West group anymore. Uh, so he basically tweeted out uh, on his Twitter account uh, stating, Hey, so I know some of you heard about the song I got with Pusha. I did this song a year ago when I was still cool with Kanye. I'm not cool with that man. He's not my friend. And I, and I only cleared the song for Pusha because that's my guy. This is the last song you'll hear me on with Kanye. Uh, signed, Scott. Scott is his real name. Scott is Kid Cudi's real name. And overall, this is sad news. Uh, personally, I don't mind Kid Cudi. Uh, there are times where he can go a little bit too overboard, but there are some songs that I like. I mean, Man on the Moon is still a classic hip-hop album. Front to back, still a classic. Kitsy Ghost, the album that he did with Kanye. Oh my God, that is one of the best albums within hip hop. I mean, that is a 10 out of 10. And the guy with the glasses and a flannel will obviously attest to that. You know, that album is really good. Fire is a, it's fire, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, that song, the Cuddy Montage, where it was like, like a sample of Nirvana. I mean, that was a beautiful song. Reborn, it's like a very beautiful song as well. You know, uh, the beginning of the album where you just hear, you know, Kanye going, bra, bra da da da. I mean, I can't, I can't do it like Kanye, but, you know, him with Pusha and, and, and Cuddy, you know, just all playing off each, off one of each other. You know, Kanye literally spazzing on that song. I mean, Kitsy Ghost is one of the best hip hop albums ever made. And if there's one thing I'm sad about, it's the fact that we're not able to see any more Kanye and Kid Cudi. Uh, now, I don't know how Kid Cudi will go about this because I feel like Kid Cudi does his best with Kanye. So, I mean, I don't know how his albums will be. I mean, if it's anything like Spinning Bullet to Heaven, sign me out. I'm I'm not going to listen to Kid Cudi. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, I feel like it's very, very apparent that Kid Cudi does his best with Kanye. And we're not able to see that. It's not going to be fun. Um, you know, go back at that uh, performance that Kitsy Ghost had at Camp Flognaw, that Tyler the Creator Festival. Go check out that that performance they had because it was amazing. They played all the good hits from Kitsy Ghost. They played some songs from 808s and Heartbreak. They played uh, some songs from Man on the Moon as well. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful performance that they did. It was like in the middle of like some tube. Like there were like, uh, like, in midair suspended midair like in this like small tube they're just playing off one of each other 
it was a beautiful it's like one of their their first and probably their only performance that they've ever had together and probably first and last performance they've ever they'll ever have together so go check it out it's a great great performance great great uh set list that they had it's on youtube i think uh unless tyler the creator's team shut it down i i don't think so they're not like coachella but uh yes and i say that is a good thing you know tyler the creator and cam flogna are not like coachella uh and that's a good thing uh i kind of want to go to camp flogna uh that would be a very interesting thing uh, i'll be so out of dressed compared to what's at camp flogna because like for me like i usually just wear like a sweater vest and like probably like a full sleeve collared shirt if i go to camp flogna everybody's gonna wear like flannels chuck taylor's khakis but they go to like like you know a leg length i mean not leg length but they go to like calf length you know you'll see individuals in like golf hats crappy sunglasses you know wearing uh you know uh, i mean wolfgang merch or what i i don't know i mean wearing tyler the critter merch that is obviously way too expensive. I mean, Tyler the Creator. I mean, I like him. I think he's a great artist, but some of those prices on site, man. I, I get it. It's a free country, like, but those prices are like way too much. Like, and they're they they get sold double on like StockX and Grail. I'm, I'm like looking at it, and I'm not interested in buying any of it. I just like Tyler the Creator. I think he's a great artist, but like when I see those prices, I'm like, damn, that's so much for a hat, for socks. You're going to pay like eighty bucks for socks. Not that, not I would never pay eighty bucks for socks ever, like ever. I I rarely pay like over three digits for for shoes. Like if I pay over three digits, like I never pay. I've never actually like I'll be quite honest with you, I've never paid a shoe that's worth over a hundred dollars ever. Like that's how frugal I am with my money. Like I, so I will never buy eighty dollars socks at at all. But there are times where I'll see it at the Todd Creator store where it's like over eighty bucks. I'm like, this is way too much. I like the Tyler Creator. I think he's a, he's one of the best artists within music today. I feel like that's I feel like him, Jack White, and a few others. I think Nick Cave, Kanye. I feel like those four individuals are in a league of their own. Like like those four individuals, Kanye, Tyler, Nick Cave, and Jack White are in like a different stratosphere compared to every other artist. But when I see his prices on his website, it's like way too much. Like it's like, like we get it, but come on. I still like Tyler the Creator. I still love Tyler the Creator though. So um, yeah, going back to this discussion with Cuddy, um, I, I think this is like in accordance or this is because of the fact that Kanye was going after Kid Cuddy's best friend, uh, Pete Davidson. Uh, so I'm just getting this from Complex. So Complex, if you guys don't know, it's like owned by Verizon Wireless. So go check them out. I think they're also behind Hot Ones and First Week Feast. So it's like the First Week First Week Feast is a subsidiary of the Complex Media, uh, and Complex is a subsidiary of that of Verizon. So Cuddy and Ye's most recent fallout, at least publicly, appears to have its origins in the latter's claims about Donda Two features. Just so everyone knows, Cuddy will not be on Donda because he's friends with you-know-who, and that's Kanye in reference to Pete Davidson. I discussed it in a few podcast episodes in, a few podcast episodes in the past, so go check those out. I have no idea the numbers, the podcast numbers, so uh, just type in Kanye in, in my podcast channel on, my, on YouTube, and uh, probably pop up, uh, but yes. 
Uh, Yay, said in February with you know who marking an apparent reference to Pete Davidson, the SNL star, of, of course, is date, currently dating Kim Kardashian. In a subsequent tweet, Cuddy referred to Ye as a fucking dinosaur and said he would be praying for him. Uh, so, yeah, that's in relation to the in, in the saga. Do I think they'll patch it up? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, albums will not sell themselves. You know, it's still... Uh, next year will be the 15-year anniversary of 808s and Heartbreaks. Uh, it will be the 10-year anniversary of Yeezus. And Cuddy was on both of those uh, albums. So, I mean, I think... If I'm Kanye and if I want, want to make money, which I think Kanye does want to make money, uh, I think having Cuddy in a circle would be best for him. Uh, but I want to see how Cuddy does outside of Kanye. You know, I don't think we've really seen a lot of good songs or albums with just Cuddy and Cuddy solely. So it's going to be interesting to see how he does. It really will. Um, apparently, like he was in a, like a documentary where like he was like. Apparently, he made an album with guitar, heavy on the guitars, and he was playing it, and he did not know how to play a guitar at all, which not good, not good whatsoever. Like, if you're going to have guitars on your album, do it by, like, some, like, professional. Like, don't don't feel like you need to have the feeling to put yourself, you know, playing guitar if you don't know how to play guitar. And that's, like, a comic going up on stage in a basketball arena and doing stand-up comedy. Sorry, a new comic, a green comic, doing one of their first sets at a basketball arena, doing stand-up comedy. It's like, no, that's this place is not ideal for that kind of stuff. It really isn't. You know, if you're going to perform like, and I say this as a stand-up comedian, but if you're going to perform like in a cavernous room where there's no tension, where there's no sort of closeness between the audience and the comic, like you have to be full-on loud and obnoxious and physical i feel like and I, I know this is sort of like a deviation from what i'm discussing but just bear with me here i feel like the better the better the bigger the room the more loud and obnoxious you have to be and the more physical you have to be i feel like being a one-liner comic or a person that relies on tension and and getting the audience invested and engaged in your material that doesn't fly at madison square garden or that of, say, uh, any basketball-sized arena. It really isn't. I mean, when you think of the people that do well in basketball arenas, who does well? It's Maniscalco. It's Russell Peters. It's, you know, to an extent uh, in that direction, Bill Burr. You know, these are people that, you know, while Bill Burr does have a lot of bars, uh, he's very physical as well. You know, Russell Peters and Sebastian Maniscalco are the living testament of you know, physical. Even Jerry Seinfeld, very, very physical guy. Uh, I was actually watching some Jerry Seinfeld uh, previously, like in the past week or so. I was surprised to see how physical he was. I was seeing, like, I'm telling you for the last time, which is like the special that he released like in the late 90s. He's very physical in that special. And I, I thought it was like more so like in the same vein as saying Mark Norman or that as say John Mulaney, where it's like sort of more so, sort of, you know, economy of words, you know, tighten it up. You know, you know, laughs for a minute, but for Seinfeld, it was like very physical. I was very surprised. Uh, so again, like those are the people that do well at you know basketball arenas. It's our physical comics and loud and obnoxious comics. That's who does well. But yeah, I don't know why I went there. Uh, back to Kid Cudi. Uh, yeah, I mean Kid Cudi. I think 
right now it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what's going to happen with him uh, because again you know we're not we haven't seen a, a song of his that you know is, is a merit that Kanye hasn't worked on you know I mean again you know, it's very 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 important it's very interesting to see what's going to happen it really is uh, all right, so let's get into a. Um, I think I think that's it for me actually. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I think that's it actually. Yeah, that's it for me. I mean, what am I discussing here? Uh, there's nothing else. Uh, we can discuss Ezra Miller again. I mean, we can talk about they them and and hopefully they get their their uh, you know the right treatment because uh, this person is definitely uh, pressing the panic button. Uh, Ezra Miller. I liked Ezra Miller. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I thought them was. I thought they were a very good actor. I'm not gonna lie. I thought they, you know, really put it out there. You know, I mean, Perks of Being a Wallflower is a great movie. Uh, the fact that he would, that the fact that they would do that, kind of upsets me, honestly. Uh, but that's like the biggest news on Twitter. So I mean, whatever. All right. I feel like that's enough for me. I feel like that's enough. Uh, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you like. Subscribe and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you subscribe to both my podcast channel and my podcast clips channel. Make sure you follow me on Instagram and Twitter at LJ Tucker, A-J-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R underscore at the end on both my Instagram and Twitter. Make sure you rate review on iTunes and Spotify. Apparently, you can review on the Spotify app. So go check it out on Spotify. Uh, I prefer I prefer Spotify because I think it's like the best player web player to listen to podcasts. But this podcast is available on every you know podcast platform there is. So go check it out, Podbay, Deezer, uh, anywhere where you can get podcasts. Go check it out. And um, I think that's it with for me, uh, guys. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Spend time with your family or friends. Make sure you watch the Belgrade final as well as the Barcelona Open final as well. Uh, make sure you avoid the bookings and enjoy your weekend and enjoy your time that you have with one another and with those that you love uh, i'm gassing for time here so my apologies but yes overall i think i'll be on sunday i'll be talking about the Boston open final on my podcast clip channel so go be on the lookout for my podcast clips channel uh i'll be talking about the Boston open final maybe the belgrade final who knows who knows? I, I'm not going to make any promises that I can't keep. So I'll talk about the Boston Open final, but uh, the Belgrade final, depending on who, uh, who's playing, um, I may not discuss it. So again, uh, be on the lookout for that. And if you're on my podcast channel, I'll be on my, I'll put up a podcast on Tuesday. You know, Tuesdays and Thursdays at nine, that's where you'll find me on. So I think that's it for me. So guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you guys on Tuesday. Avoid the bookings. I love you guys. See y'all.